Good day and once again welcome back to the podcast. Today is Monday 9th of December 1946 and you'll recall it's getting pretty chilly in Nanchang and in fact Bet's expecting snow any time now. Today's Sydney Morning Herald in her hometown reports very unseasonable weather in the Kosciuszko region of New South Wales. Indeed, snow fell almost continuously at Kosciuszko yesterday. Eight inches of fresh snow fell at Charlotte Pass, where winds of a gale force have been blowing in at a temperature of 32 degrees. Of course, that's Fahrenheit. You might recall from recent news that new ration books were being issued. Well, today we learn that a special staff of about 12,000 assisted in the issue of nearly 3 million new ration books in New South Wales on Saturday and yesterday. Their remuneration will be about £36,000. Hiring of halls, printing, advertisements and other expenses and costs will bring the cost of the issue to about £100,000. But there's a human cost too. At Warringah Hall in Neutral Bay... An issuing officer had to have help yesterday morning. He claimed that he developed writer's cramp, filling out cards for a woman who was collecting for a family of eight. He said there were 14 letters in the surname and none of the Christian names had less than 10. He called in another officer and they had to split the job. In other front page news, Trapped by fire in a 15-storey hotel in Atlanta, which had no fire escapes in the front of the building, about 122 guests were burned to death or were killed when they plunged to the road early yesterday morning. And an incident in Shanghai made the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald today too. There was an explosion. A company of Chinese soldiers and coolies are reported killed in the explosion of a Chinese army munitions dump in Shanghai. And today's city forecast, fine, mild day, cool night, moderating southwesterly winds and a smooth sea. But now it's time to hear the latest from Bet. Mrs. Betty Souter, care of UNRWA, Shanghai, China, 9th of December 1946. My dearest mother and dad, yesterday I received my very super Christmas parcel. It is the envy of all the girls here. You'll gather that I'm referring to the ski suit. It suits me extra well, even though I say it myself. It'll need minor adjustment at the waist of the pants, but apart from that, it's just right. Judging from the weather today, it will be snowing before Christmas and the suit will be just the very thing. Thank you both so much. I loved your little note on it, Mimi, and could see that you had composed it partly with an eye to the possibility of the parcel being opened by the Chinese customs people. And the note in the pocket from Phil and Ju was a pleasant surprise too. I didn't find it until I was trying on the suit and stuck my hand in the pockets. I don't think that the parcel had been opened at all. Incidentally, we have noticed that the date mark from Sydney Post Office can never be discerned on any of our parcels. I wonder why that is. There is just a blur of ink across the stamps, and that is all. 
I can only conclude that you posted the suit somewhere around the 29th of September because that was the date of the newspaper wrapped around the box. About 10 weeks to get here. Not too bad. Have I thanked you for the much-discussed parcel of saline and talc? I know I have mentioned receiving it in one of my letters to the gorse. It duly arrived, well-wrapped, being two packets of saline, one tin of JBP, and a washer, all in a tin box. The lipstick had been removed and apparently sent back to you. We had a good mail day last Friday. I scored about a dozen letters, including, Mimi dear, two from you. Numbers 44 and 46 dated 3rd and 10th November. The first told me about the commencement of the story of La Mocha. So now I have the complete outline of the case, and I can well understand how worried you both must have been. Anyway, it's all over now, and our pointy is safe. When downtown yesterday, I bought three coolie hats, wide-pointed ones, and I think they are going to be just the thing for pointy. I plan to bring them home a dozen or so. The Tahiti ones lasted 15 years, and I'm wondering if the China Nanshang ones can do likewise. I created roars of mirth when, after buying my three, and two more for Marge, I put the whole five, one on top of the other, on top of my head, and walked down the main street, just like any other coolie hat vendor. They always carry a few on their heads like that. Oh no, I didn't forget to put my khaki scarf on my head first. I am ever mindful of the prospects of disease in this country. The whole trouble was that Marge and I both had our arms full of parcels and I had no other way of carrying the cartwheels. But we were so impressed with the clean little shop and Chinese lady merchant that we thought it a good place and time to buy. We very conveniently met one of the houseboys before we had walked very far and he after laughing his silly head off too, relieved me of the hats and carried them home for us. I had not heard about Alan Kirkby being married until you mentioned it, Mother. Jew's letters are mainly delightful discourse on her wonderful man. She certainly is a goofy one, and it is good to hear it. I have told Marge about the parcel of tea and APCs, and will be glad for her to keep it if it arrives after I leave. I'm just dying to get on the way home now. I told the boss that after doing the December report at the end of the month, I intended to leave early in January, even if I had to resign to do it. He was quite sympathetic. I think he had an idea that I would walk out before doing the December monthly. I wish that my conscience would let me. But as I explained to him... I am not accustomed to leaving my jobs unfinished. Today I have no work to do. Looks as if I shall get a fair number of outstanding letters written. It doesn't often happen this way and perhaps I have spoken too soon and something will crop up, just to make a liar of me. My pet aversion here, the welfare division, has held back my November report, as usual, and I have two of the girls working flat out on the engrossment. But my part of the work was completed a week ago. The weekly reports for last week have gone out and for a few days I should be able to relax. If I had some money left, I would play truant and go shopping. But I'm quite broke. 
having put down my last 50000 as a deposit on some embroidered linen sets. It still amazes me how I never seem to have enough money. I have applied for another increase in my field allotment and, as from December, payable at the end of the month, I will take out the equivalent of £25 monthly from my salary. But I can show something for my spending. You just wait and see. I've already planned the spending of most of the next monthly issue too. Also, the travel advance that I will be applying for to get me back to Shanghai. That is the only way you can get an advance out here. Get a bigger travel advance than you want for a trip, spend the money, and then sign an authority for the deficiency to be deducted from your home allotment. Unfortunately, I don't travel enough to be able to make good use of it. There are so many silks that I would like to buy, but I'm not doing too badly. Marge and I had such a nice day yesterday. We seem to spend more and more of our time just in each other's company, but I'm quite happy about it and apparently she is too. We were trying to decide whether to get up for breakfast or whether to ask Arma to get the boys to bring it up to us in bed. We had just about decided on getting up, thinking that we must not make a regular thing of sleeping in on Sundays, even though bed is the warmest place when in came our favourite houseboy, bearing aloft two trays with coffee, porridge, pancakes, toast and jam. We didn't tell him to take them down again. It is a pleasant little luxury which Kung seems quite thrilled to bestow on us. We didn't stay in bed after 9.30 though, up to which time we both knitted furiously on a jumper that we are making for Amar's little girl for Christmas. At 9.30 we got up, found a couple of bicycles and had a long ride. I had not been on a bike for weeks and weeks, but had not lost the art, thank goodness, though I was completely exhausted on my return. Had it not been for the fact that there was a sanitary coolie with his two buckets on a bamboo pole just in front of me, I don't think that I would ever have made the last 50 yards. But I had to pass that coolie even if it took my last breath. Have I ever mentioned that the night soil is bought and sold as fertiliser by the vegetable gardeners? They tell me it is a lucrative business. Knowing that, I do not know how anyone here could eat uncooked vegetables, and I'm all for boiling all vegetables for an extra half hour, even at the risk of taking away the vitamins. I've forgotten to say that before we got the inspiration for the bike ride, we had had a few sets of ping-pong. After the ride, I stretched out on my bed to cool off and read a few of my accumulated newspapers until lunchtime. We always have a buffet lunch on Sundays and, to my way of thinking, it is the best meal of the week. After lunch, we went down to the shops again and collected some silver dress pins, which we had ordered the day before. They are cute. On the background of a Chinese character, there is the traditional figure of the god representing the words so expressed in the character. There are four in the set, long life, happiness, professional success and wealth. Marge and I each got a set. We also called at the post office and collected the mail, including my parcel from you and a letter for me from Jew and one from John Holden, Linda Wormsley's brother. We took some photos 
gathering in the course of the transactions a following of at least 150 persons who were all trying to look over our shoulders as we got the focus. Four policemen were unable to do anything about dispersing the mob. It was quite fun, though, and in wintertime, the people don't smell as horrible as they do in summer. Then back to the house for a dress rehearsal of my new suit and much admiration all round. More knitting and reading till dinner time. After dinner, we had our wireless going. Excellent reception from Radio Australia. So we went to bed and wrote letters, read and knitted with the luxury of good music for our background. I really did enjoy my Sunday. You may have noticed that I have not mentioned any Chinese dinners or parties for a very long time. There just have not been any. Since Bill Duncan's dismissal, we have not had the same friendly associations with the Chinese people here. I don't know quite why. I don't think that it has anything to do with the personality of the new boss, because he is a sociable and friendly person, and I should think very likeable from their point of view. But perhaps it is their general resentment at the way things have changed. Maybe they realise that we are not, as a whole, the big happy family that we used to be. I do know, having heard through the grapevine, that they do not like certain of the new women here, one of whom is set up by the new boss as being the most important female around the place. The Chinese have said that they would like to entertain Mrs Souter and Miss Block, but they cannot, because of face, I suppose, invite us without inviting those others that they do not like. Actually, I do not mind, since it is too cold to be going out, but I do miss the nice, friendly meetings that once we used to have so regularly. However, I suppose that that is part of the new policy operating here. Anyway, I shall not be here much longer now. Last week we had several transients passing through Nanchang, one of whom was an Australian, Major Charles Greaves, mass feeding specialist. He mentioned that he was due to return to Sydney early in the new year on home leave and that he would be happy to look up our people for us or take home small packets or letters. I declined with thanks, saying that I expected to be going home myself in February. He was very persistent, and eventually I did give him a letter, addressed to your office, Dad, thinking that, after all, you might like to talk to him and get a first-hand description of the place I work in, etc. I was not keen to introduce him at home because I really do not know him, and from the little bit that I've observed, I do not admire his type much. He will, no doubt, intimate that I am a very good friend of his, and that he has seen me often, etc., etc. But that is not so. He stayed here on two occasions at the hostel, and I saw him only at mealtimes, occasionally in the office, and once when he came to our room after dinner for a drink. I also saw him for a few minutes when over at Changsha. I may be entirely wrong, but I got the feeling that he was all out for introductions at home so that he might get a little bit of benefit therefrom. No, I was not impressed by the Major. So you are warned before he arrives. You are certain to get this letter before he walks into the office. In any event, I have worded the letter he carries in such a way 
that you should draw the same conclusions as you will from these more freely expressed remarks. I will not be sending any more parcels home by post. I cannot get them to Shanghai now and, in any event, they will get there more quickly if I bring them with me. So that you can check on the ones received, here is the sum total of what I have sent, excluding any little odds and sods in envelopes. 1. To FWT, dispatched about 12 July from Nanshang. 2. Separate parcels to FWT and to JLA, dispatched about 15 August from Nanshang. 3. Four separate parcels of cloth to DJA, PLC, JVT and MNT, dispatched from Shanghai about 20 September. 4. Parcel to DJA, care of FWT, from Shanghai about 18 October. 5. Parcel to JVT, care of FWT, from Hong Kong, about 24 October. 6. Parcels to MNT, PLC and ALT, all care of FWT, dispatched from Shanghai on about the 14th of October. 7. Parcel to FWT, dispatched from Shanghai, about end November. That is all I have made a note of. Actually, I think I did send another one to Mars, but I think she has already mentioned receiving it. This parcel business is quite a problem, and not only parcels but letters and telegrams seem to suffer extraordinary hazards at times. The best effort yet concerns my wire from Changsha to Nanshang. Did I tell you? On the 18th of November, I drafted a wire over at Changsha and asked the secretary to send it to Nanchang for me. It said, Suta leaving Changsha for Nanchang Wednesday 20th. She told me on the afternoon of the 18th that the wire had been sent. I duly arrived back at Nanchang on the 20th, covering the 260-odd miles from Changsha inside of 12 hours. On the 5th of December, my wire followed me to Nanchang. No reason, no cause, no need for explanations, because there is nothing unusual about that so far as the Chinese post office is concerned. One does have to be so patient. Meanwhile, I believe the boss had mentioned that I should have observed the rules and sent a wire back here informing him of my movement. How easy to misjudge. But... We accept the ways of the country with good grace most of the time, and those of us with a sense of humour can always resort to a good laugh at the peculiar things that happen. This city of Nanchang seems all of a sudden to be full of soldiers. We do not know why this should be, and have not heard any rumours. I'm beginning to think that the whole of China will be a seething mass of civil war before it can settle into proper rehabilitation though I do not think that it will break for another 12 months or so. These riots in Shanghai could have developed into something very serious, but I understand that they have been quelled satisfactorily by nationalist troops. In this regard, 
You do not need to worry about me, as I feel perfectly safe, especially in Nanshang. I do not worry about the possibility of military activities. The army of China is something very different from our own army, chiefly, I suppose, because only the lower classes are concerned with military affairs. However, I find it hard to explain. All I can say is just to do not worry about it. Any reports that I have read in home newspapers as to the doings here, military or otherwise, have been grossly exaggerated. We do have bandits, riots, prospects of civil war, etc., but there is not the same danger attached to any of them as you are led to believe. So much for that. Our city is also particularly crowded at the present time because of the influx of farmers looking for other employment during the seasonal slackness on the farms. This is quite a usual winter occurrence. The streets, so far as crowds are concerned, are nowadays reminiscent of Christmas Eve in Pitt Street. How is my violin bearing up under its neglect? I so often feel that I would like a little play. It's just as well that I didn't bring it with me, though, for it would never have lasted through the summer. There seem to be no pianos in Nanchang, and the only violins that they have are the Chinese type and quite tone and tuneless. Incidentally, it was eight calendar months yesterday since I arrived in Shanghai, and it was just as cold on the day of my arrival as it was here yesterday. Very similar days. Think I'd better end this rambling on this page. A very scratchy letter, badly typed, but I've enjoyed this morning of chatter immensely. Much better, though, when I can chatter with my tongue rather than with a typewriter. Oceans of love to all the family. Quite a few to go around now, and a special hug and kiss for my mummy and daddy. From Bet. Kiss, kiss. Production credits for this episode. Produced and narrated by Warren Henry, the voice of Betty Souter by Helen Polkinghorne, and the featured tune from 1946, Jolly Blonde by Harry Choates. In that year, Harry organised a band that he called the Melody Boys. Perhaps in honour of his daughter Linda, he rewrote an old Cajun waltz, Jolly Blonde, meaning pretty blonde, he recorded this song in 1946 for the Gold Star label.
What you've done with me, you know you'll be sorry. 